On this week's episode, we welcome back attorney Benjamin Crump. We've gone through this mindset to stop this escalation of crimes, especially the violence against African-Americans. We needed more black mayors. We needed more black leaders. We needed more police chief. We needed more black officers on the street. Memphis police force is almost 60% black. It's Chief C.J. Davis is a black female. And yet they had all the, the escalation plans in place. They had everything in place to make sure that this was a model city, that something like this could never happen. And yet five officers who happened to be black murdered with, without any thought. It was all so casual to them, just murdered them without thought. What went wrong in Memphis? Well, Armstrong, I, I think as many uh, advocates have said that there is the implicit bias in policing, whether it is uh, black officers, Hispanic officers, or white officers. It's not the race of the police officer that is the determining factor of whether or not they're going to engage in excessive use of force. What I have found in my almost 25 years of doing civil rights law across America, it is the race of the citizen. And oftentimes, brown and black citizens uh, have this excessive force uh, engaged upon them severely. And we just don't see our white brothers and sisters who are unarmed uh, having this type of brutality uh, levied out against them like we see on so many videos, Armstrong Williams, whether it's you know, Eric Garner in New York, whether it's Pamela Turner in Houston, whether it's Terrence Crutcher walking away with his hands up and shouting in the back. I mean, we don't see videos of white citizens unarmed being killed by the police. Yeah, but you know, I, I uh, of course, you're a very dear friend, someone I have deep respect for, but you have made it clear in the past, whether it's Derek Chauvin and other officers, you made it clear that white officers in the systems don't value black life. Are you saying that black officers don't also value the lives of young blacks, especially this guy, Tyree, was, I mean, he was the one de-escalating the situation. He's one asking, what are you doing? These law enforcement officers were out of control. Did it not matter to them, to them that this was like a brother, a black man, did that matter to them? Did, did race ever enter their mind? What, what is different here? Because it seems to me that when you look at it, it, what this tells us, it's really not about race. It's about law enforcement and their training. Well, I think race did enter their mind in the fact that they felt they could do this to black citizens. We have other citizens coming forward who saying that they were assaulted and battered by this Scorpion unit. And this isn't just uh, unique to Memphis, these organized crime units. They're called the jump out boys in many urban uh, cities and they wouldn't be known in many uh, more affluent communities uh, because they don't go and engage in those uh, excessive use of force and the trampling of constitutional rights in those communities, but they go in the communities of color and they are very aggressive like we saw on the video of Tyree Nichols, I mean, from the first moment, using all kind of profanity, never being respectful, even when Tyree Nichols is saying, what did I do? And he said, I just want to go home. 
and he's following their commands and so forth, but they are so aggressive that it seems to not even matter what Tyree Nichols said. And we think this is a pattern in practice because Armstrong, after they they beat him to the sense where he was practically unconscious and we see him with handcuffs on and obviously in distress, they're talking so nonchalantly. Uh, and it's like it's business as usual, the way they're carrying on. And that coupled with the fact that other individuals are coming forward tells us that this was a pattern that they often did in this uh, black community. Are you saying that police chief C.J. Davis was not aware of these patterns of behavior? Do you think she was actually shocked? I've also read reports where someone said they put a gun to his head. They called the police department several times and never got a response. Do you think she's really in the dark? She also doesn't have clean hands. Well, we certainly intend to find out what everybody knew uh, in our, our wrongful death civil rights lawsuit on behalf of Tyree Nichols' family. We think we're going to be able to prove that this was a pattern in practice. Uh, the Department of Justice may very well open a civil rights pattern and practice investigation into Memphis and the Scorpion Unit. But like I said, this is not unique to police uh, departments across America. So we will find out what everybody knew uh, in this litigation. The officers may say, no, no, they knew exactly what we were doing. So we will find out. I, I know you say that this is a new standard for law enforcement, swift, almost less than two months, but criminally, you may have an argument to make but when you move swiftly, and you as an attorney understand this, administratively, you may have violated the rights of these officers, and there may be some procedures that you did not follow that could possibly get these officers off. That is why thousands of lawyers and judges should say you should be very careful before you make those charges to make sure that every, the evidence and everything is in place to make sure you give them no room to be acquitted or to walk away for such a heinous crime as what we witnessed on that video. You know, Armstrong, whether it's police officers or citizens, when you see them committing a crime on video, I agree with the chief. You should move swiftly, take action swiftly. You should uh, move swiftly towards justice. She said the community needed to see that after what they witnessed on that videotape. And all we're saying is this is the blueprint going forward because many times... We saw officers, whether it was, you know, Laquan McDonald in Chicago, Philando Castile in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Alton Sterling, you know, Pamela Turner. We saw on video these officers committing crimes, uh, saying all kind of profanity at citizens, Ronald Green in Louisiana, but yet they would go for a year, two-year investigations, even though they had the video from day one. So why should the police be above the law? If you did something like that on video, do you think they will investigate for a year before they came to arrest you? So all we're saying is the blueprint, which we hope serve as a deterrent to police officers doing some of the nefarious things they've done in the past, that they would think that, hold on, if I do this to a citizen, whether they're black or white, 
then I'm going to be held accountable. And it's not going to be no delay. It's going to be something immediately that I am going to be held accountable if I go out here and brutalize another human being. Let me, let me, obviously, I don't know any law enforcement official, anybody across the country, cops that we've spoken to, they're saying they've never seen anything at this level. They said it's an indictment of the entire Memphis Police Department, what went wrong in Memphis. And if we use this case, we, we don't use, use this case as a model, but let's just talk about cases going forward because it seems that you find yourself always in the center of these cases where families trust you to bring justice and peace and closure to these situations. Why is it sometimes so difficult for the person, whether it's fair or unfairly, to comply? You know, when we are growing up, and I'm sure your mother and parents taught you the same, it doesn't matter whether you know you're in the right or not, when you're dealing with law enforcement, just comply until you find yourself in a better situation to plead your case. Why is it that we see such a mentality now among young people where they feel they don't have to respect law enforcement, they don't have to listen to law enforcement. In fact, they could almost become confrontational with law enforcement. Doesn't that also need to change? Well, two things, Armstrong. We saw Tyree Nichols complied in every manner. Uh, we also saw Ronald Green in Louisiana with five white police officers comply in every manner. But yet both of them ended up dead. And we see video of young white people, I mean, absolutely defying the police orders. I mean, in fact, they are spitting on them, cursing at them, swinging, uh, getting in their, their cars, aiming at them. And you don't see them being killed like you see unarmed black people being killed. And so you have to look at these cases and you just see the pattern is so clear that there is excessive use of force against people of color in America by police. And we have to address this police culture if we want to stop these hashtags. We can't continue to blame the victims saying, well, because you didn't fully comply, you deserved it. But yet we see white citizens do the same thing and they're not being shot. The police are de-escalating on them. They just are escalating when it's people of color. And we have to continue to show these videos to America. That's why I was very uh, proud that Tyree Nichols' family said, no, America needs to see how they killed out my child. So let me, let, me, let me interrupt you again, again, because listen, I know you spoke about the two that complied and died and still died, but there are thousands of cases where young people do comply and they find themselves, they have their lives today. We're not trying to justify the horrendous and the vicious act that we saw on any of these videos, but I don't think you, as a man with a strong moral compass are saying, because what we're talking about is more the exception than not the rule. I don't think you're saying that if you can, it's in your best interest to comply if you can. That will give you the best chance of not ending up like Tyree Nichols and those others that you spoke of. No, absolutely. You know, many times black parents, we have to give our children the talk where to keep your hand on the steering wheel so they can clearly see them, don't move too quickly because anything you do could be misinterpreted as an act of aggression and it may cause you to be killed. 
And we always tell our children, you know, do not confront the police on the street. Come home and let us as your parents confront the police because it is really a matter of survival. There was a editorial, uh, we talking about traffic stops, a cartoon, and it had a white citizen. He was being pulled over by the police and he was talking to his uh, mother. He said, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to be a few minutes later because the police is pulling me over. And then they had the same police in the next cartoon with a black citizen uh, where they pulled him over and he said, if I don't make it home, just know I love you, mama. That is a stark contrast in what happens when black people and white people are pulled over by the police. You know, you're saying some things in this conversation. You really believe that black police officers and white police officers would never viciously attack someone who's white because they are white, not because they're committing a crime. Are you just saying this standard is only reserved for young black men? Well, I'm saying, based on the videos that we have seen, I keep waiting to see videos of unarmed white citizens being brutalized like we see so many videos of unarmed black people. You know, let me switch gears with you a minute. Uh, I know one of the things that you've talked about is mass incarceration. Here uh, in Baltimore, where you and I are doing this interview, you have 600,000 citizens in Baltimore. And literally, of every 100,000, 58 people, 58, 58 criminals repeat the same crimes, only 58. Um, how would you call locking up 58 people if you continue to scale up to 600,000 mass incarceration? Isn't, it, isn't, your, isn't your responsibility is to protect those law-abiding citizens against the few that would destroy their lives? Shouldn't those people, and I'm not talking about petty thefts like snatching someone's purse. I'm not talking about burglarizing somebody's home. I'm talking about carjacking, which leads to sometimes violent crime. I'm talking about homicide, and I'm talking about rape. When you look at these hardened criminals, don't you feel they should be behind bars? I believe uh, that when criminals commit heinous criminal acts, they should be held accountable. But we often see that there are such disproportionate numbers of black and brown men in particular uh, sitting in prisons that I remember what Congresswoman Frederica Wilson said when she took her young uh, high school student uh, advocacy group to the prison in uh, that particular city. She said one young black kid asked her, Congresswoman Wilson, where's the prison for white people? Because it was filled with young black men. And so if black men make up uh, a small percentage of the population, but make up the overwhelming majority of the prison population, it tells you that young black men are being targeted. And I'm not saying that we want to excuse crime, but we have to look at the system, the criminal justice system, and ask ourselves some hard questions, whether we are just targeting uh, minority uh, citizens, are we giving 
uh, more deference to white citizens because, as Dr. King said, you know, when you look at those numbers with so many black people going to prison and you have to say, well, black people are just bad people, criminal people, evil people. Or you have to think, as Dr. King think, that no, there are some good in the worst of us and some bad in the best of us. We're all just people. And so if you got this disproportionality, then you know the system is broken and we need to try to address it. Not saying that we ever going to get a perfect system, but that we can do have a more equitable system. Well, let me tell you my challenge with what you're saying. It seems as though, and I want to make sure you clarify it, that many of these blacks who find themselves incarcerated don't deserve to be there. They're there because of the color of their skin. And what I think sometimes people forget in this entire equation, 90% of the people that are dying and being harmed by um, this demographic are black people themselves. They're not killing white people. They're not raping them. They're not burglarizing them. The majority of their victims are black people. So who's gonna play, protect these victims, Trump? Who's gonna protect them? Armstrong, you know, in most state death row populations, it is almost 50% black men. I'm on the Innocence Project Board of Directors. And what it but tells- But black people are the victims of Trinity Crump. You, can, no, you cannot ignore not, that. Not, they're the, not, they are the victims of these crimes, of the majority. Well, I'll, I'll let you talk and then I'll answer because I want to be respectful to you. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going I'm to be quiet. I'm going to be respectful to you. Go ahead. You know, the quickest way that the Innocence Project and us have said for you to get the death row in America is to be a person of color and be convicted of murder of a white person. When it's reversed, when a white person kill a black person, they have found that there's no guarantee that they're going to be put on death row. There's even no guarantee that they're going to go to prison. In fact, if they say stand your ground, they may go home and sleep in their own beds at night because as the New York State Supreme Court said in the Bernard Getz case, that you can consider race as a factor in your allegation of self-defense. Now, how troubling is that, Armstrong? And so we can try to mix words and uh, sparse technicalities, but when we have a court of law saying that if a black person is seen as more dangerous and you feel threatened, that the law says the jury can consider that in their determination. That's a troubling, troubling uh, holding that this New York court has held. And what we find far too often is race is a factor in the criminal justice system. What we want to do is have it where a black person or a white person, if they commit similar crimes, they should be given similar punishment. But we don't see that, Armstrong Williams, and we have to work towards that. We have to make it about equal justice under the law. That is the bedrock of American jurisprudence. It's liberty and justice for all, and that's equal justice under the law. You know, you and I agree that justice should be colorblind. I could care less about the person's 
ethnic background, the hue of their skin, if you commit the crime, not only you should do the time, and very few people are getting um, the death sentence these days, um, and very few people, even when they commit homicide, attorney crump, spend more than three years behind bars. And somebody who commits property crime spends less than two years behind bars. So we're not talking about the average person spending 20 or 30 years behind bars. It's less than three years. But my point is, is what about the victims of these crimes? Because if you look at crime, there's a location crime where a lot of them commit the 15% of the crime where they live. And the victims are people who look like them. And, and, and what about them? Are you saying that they killed them because they're black, because they think the crime is less? Or should we be caught up in the fact that you committed the crime and justice should be meted out the same? Justice should be meted out the same. Are we making any progress? I, 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 will you be surprised if a week from now, two weeks from now, you get another similar call about what happened to another Tyree um, Nichols? Do you think, no matter how much legislation you pass, how much we talk about this, I mean, you've got some vicious cops out there, man. You've got bad people. Just like you have bad people in the larger society, you've got cops who are cops for all the wrong reasons. What I saw on that videotape, man, they were monsters. They were animals. They exhibited animal behavior. And, and I won't disagree with What's going to change it? I, I won't disagree with them. We've seen many officers exhibit animal behavior. Go look at Rodney Green video. I mean, that was vicious. Um, and, and so... Armstrong, I believe, as Dr. King said, and I go back to him once more, you know, I can't make a man not hate me, but the or the law can't make a man not hate me, but the law can make a man not kill me, and if he kills me, there are going to be consequences. So there is a place for legislation to try to curtail some of this police excessive force from some of this police brutality. We have to have the courage to say, like you said, there are good cops and there are bad cops, just like there are good people in every profession and there are some bad people in every profession. And when they do bad, they need to be held accountable, just like you were uh, putting forth the argument when people in the community do crimes, they should be held accountable. So we have to quit saying that we're gonna give police officers passes on nefarious conduct. No, everybody has to do something. One of the things I loved about your tweet after uh, Tyree Nichols was killed, you tweeted out and essentially you said, right is right and wrong is wrong, regardless of the color of a person's skin. And that is what we have to get through, Armstrong. Do you are you encouraged that we will ever get to that place or will we continue having these conversations, this outraged law enforcement? Uh, will it ever change or will it just escalate? I'm strong. We're going to get there because people like you and I and your audience, we're going to get there. We're going to make a better world for our children. We're going to make sure that the law is used as an instrument for good versus a weapon of evil for the enemies of, to equality. We're going to get there, and we're making progress. I mean, 30 years ago, you would not have police officers even being arrested for killing uh, minority uh, citizens. 
Uh, but now you see it happening more frequently. And maybe that's the advent of technology. But I also like to believe that is because we are evolving as a society and we're giving greater value to human life, whether that is a black person's life or a brown person's life or a white person's life. And so we are making progress. We have to continue to pray for each other and say that we can be better. We can give our children a better world. We can make sure that all our children have an equal opportunity at the American promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is within us to accomplish this. You know, Attorney Crump and Dr. Carson and I have written a book about crisis in the classroom, um, crisis in education. We talk about crime. And I do think it's important that people on all sides of the aisles forget about the politics and find a way to heal the wounds of this nation. And you know, Attorney Crump, you know, how do you cope with it every week, seeing this sorrow and the loss of lives almost on a bi-weekly basis? I mean, and yet these families call on you because they feel you have the moral compass, you have the command of the media, and they trust you um, not only as their lawyer, but as a brother. How do you cope with it? Where do you go and find understanding to give you strength to continue on this path? You know, I have a great support staff with my family, who you know well, and a lot of my legal team. We're, we are never one person doing this. It's a team every time we take on these challenges. It's a team effort. Uh, I get solace. I'm strong in talking with you and you challenging me to expand my mind. I mean, you have to do stuff. Uh, I have a mental health counselor who is a fraternity brother of mine who has a national mental health counseling center. And we do telemedicine once a month where he said, you know, Attorney Crump, I, I just want you give me 20 minutes. Just talk to me about in the last 30 days how have you dealt with all the trauma that has befallen your clients? Whether it's, you know, the little boy being killed at the uh, Travis Scott Astroworld concert in Houston. Uh, he was 10 years old. You have a daughter that's 10 years old. Talk to him about how that made you feel when you were trying to comfort that family. Talk to me about how you felt talking with Tyree Nichols' mother who could not see more than 30 seconds of the video before she broke down. Tell me about that there, because he said it's important for us to get it out and talk about it. Don't hold it inside. So I tell you, Armstrong Williams, you know, people may not know this. I, I think you're one of the most uh, positive people I ever talked to. Now, we don't always agree, but I know that you're going to find the silver lining in a many things in society, and we all have to strive to see the good in humanity versus always looking down on humanity. We have to try to uplift the spirits of our fellow uh, man every chance we get. And that's why I thank you for doing it. And I hope more people will do that, Armstrong. Try to always inspire one another. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.